comics, movies, music, video games, technology, Blu-ray, television. This is the HHW LOD Podcast Network. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download at www.audibletrial.com slash outnowpodcast. Over 100,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. That's www.audibletrial.com slash outnowpodcast. We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and Abe is still at the office. Um, normally, Out Now is a film podcast. Abe and I discussing new movies weekly. However, every now and then, depending on either a lack of new releases we're discussing or just because we feel like it, we like to do special bonus episodes such as this one. And this is going to be another one of our special audio commentaries coming in just in time with the release of the new RoboCop starring Joel Kinnaman, Michael Keaton, and Samuel L. Jackson, among other people. It's a big cast. Gary Oldman, um, good to shout him out. Um, because of that, we figured, why not record a commentary for the original RoboCop? You know, cult classic, great action movie from the 80s, Paul Verhoeven, his commentary, Running Wild. We figured, why not just delve right into that one, put that out, and say all we have to say about why that movie is amazing. And so, that's the plan. That's what we're going to do. That You should know that, because it says that on your iPhone or whatever that you're listening to this on, but that's that's the plan. And joining me to discuss RoboCop, we have, from many different podcasts at hhwlod.com, we have Mr. Jim Dietz. Good evening. It's your move, creep. <laughs> and from the Naptown Nerd, the Ichapod Crane cast, and com, we have Brandon Peters. Dead or alive, you're podcasting with me. Nice. How are you guys doing tonight? Terrific. Just great, thanks. Staying awesome. warm. Uh, good. <laughs> good to know. Um, all right. Well, people generally know how these commentaries work. I know these are the people like these a lot. That's why they listen. That's why I keep doing them. Um, basically, we have the movie synced up at a certain point. Um, Brandon and I are watching the new remastered Blu-ray, which is awesome, and I certainly recommend picking that up if you're a fan of RoboCop. And, and I know Jim has the director. We are watching the director's cut edition, by the way, just to put that out there. And basically we have it paused at where the orion logo the old orion logo is about like stars are popping onto screen that's like the frame that we have it on right now for those of you that want to follow along with the film as we're talking about it so we have that kind of pause there on the new blu-ray it's 16 seconds in i'm not sure how it is on other editions but i know it comes after the mgm logo if there is one and then the orion logo happens so we have it paused right where that starts so we're going to count down from three two one and then say go and we'll go and that's how we're going to do it. So, you know, take it, pause this, whatever, get yourself synced up, and let's get ready to do this. You guys ready? Mm-hmm. Ready when you are. You know it. Okay. Here we go. Three, two, one, go. Let us bask in the glorious Orion logo. Yeah, we were talking about this before we started recording. This is, we. I always like this logo. It's so fun. That's great. Totally. Throwback. You know what movie I think I... Yeah, yeah. The movie I know that has this logo on it that I used to watch, Mac and Me. That movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. When wow. I was a kid, Mac and Me was forever... And for some reason, it wasn't E.T. Like, I hadn't seen E.T. in the longest time. Oh, my God. Assaulted by the title. Yeah, just threw, it at me. just threw it at me. Just threw it at me. 
But yeah, I watched Mac and Me a lot for some reason when I was a kid, and now I know that that movie's terrible. I knew when it was. <laughs> I think I knew when it's, I was a kid it was terrible, but the Orion logo always accompanied that one. It was. I Robocop was what I thought of with the Orion logo for me. Hate to be lame like that, but yeah, it was pretty so, lame. Yeah. <laughs> Love that yeah. hair, Mr. Gibbons. Yeah, you know it, it's kind of sad for Orion that they filed for bankruptcy right after two back-to-back Best Picture winners. In their history. What were they? Uh, Dances with Wolves, uh, starring your favorite Kevin Costner, Thank and you. Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, I was going to say Orion is Silence of the Lambs. I was yeah, it is Orion. I haven't watched the movie from the beginning in the longest time, which is ironic because I'm about to watch Silence of the Lambs probably after we do this movie, because I just watched Manhunter last night. So I'm like, I'm going to watch I love, this. love Manhunter. Yes. Rated movie. It's a great back-to-back there. Two different, completely different styles and... And anyway, RoboCop. Um, I, I love this movie. Um, I, I think this movie is uh, just a fantastic piece of work from an action standpoint and from a standpoint that suggests a lot more than just like, hey, look at this genre picture, which applies to many genre pictures. They always have a lot of things going on in terms of social commentary, themes and motifs and how they kind of relate to the, pro- the time that they came out in and what have you. Well, plus, I mean, those different parts work. I mean, it's real easy to make an action picture. It's real easy to make a message, you know, consumer uh, culture, uh, uh, lampoon type picture. But the the parts work together very well, and it's it's rare that that happens. That the part, you know, each of those, you know, uh, tracks of this movie, you know, work work out as well as they do. Well, having having just gone through them all myself and stuff, the, the big factor in this movie, I think, of all, is Paul Verhoeven. Like he is able, he's able to pull this off where others it gets kind of goofy, and uh, it doesn't work as well when they try to recapture what he does. But he's he's the kind of guy he he gets it, and you can see that with you know like the the his Total Recall and like uh, the remake. You know when someone else takes it in their hands, they just don't fully understand what he seems to get and is able to breathe into um, the script and stuff. So I. I don't know. I, I, I think it, a, a lot of the success of this movie is on him. I want to. I want. I want to get back to Verhoeven in a second, but I just want to bring up because we're way past the beginning. I like the opening because instead of like, it's not an action opening, which you know you might expect sometimes, but I, instead it's this kind of it's 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 releasing the world to you. Peter Weller just came on screen. It's uh, it's it's release it's it's opening up the world to you in the opening. It, it gives you a sense of it, the attitude of the this tone movie. perfectly. The tone exactly, which happens in like uh, Starship Troopers is another example of yeah. him doing right. that. And I like that. I like that the film it does it doesn't need to to do too much in terms of like this is an action movie. Here you go. Instead, it's it's giving you something that's funny. It's giving you fun, a fun scene to work with. That's mocking kind of the world that they're living in, and it's almost similar to something like um, uh, comic-wise, uh, Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns. I was just going to say that actually, using the television to deliver your exposition and kind of uh, you know to paint your background and your color commentary going on as your you know, your action goes on in the foreground. So yeah. it's definitely a thing I saw. I probably first saw there. Is this this is the last time we see Peter Weller as a full-on just good guy in a movie? I'm pretty sure, I wouldn't be surprised, yeah. yeah. I mean, he, he's he's the hero of a, it's a little sci-fi movie called Screamers. Oh, yep. yeah. But he, he's yep, kind I of a, he's, he's one of those disturbed heroes that's not quite all too good in that Naked movie. Naked Lunch. Yeah. 
Like, Screamers, um, is that Phil K. Dick? Is that a Phil K. Dick? Play? Is it Phil K. Dick adaptation? Yeah. yeah. And it also has, uh, oh, what's her name? Ah, uh, can't remember. But... Screamers? Oh, God. <laughs> She's in Bad Dreams in Elm Street 3. I can't remember what her name is, but... She's a person I like to see in like little films. I'm but like, you make oh, a, yeah. you make a good point, Brandon. Yeah, Peter Weller. If I see Peter Weller in something, I just assume he's the bad guy. Your hair your hair stands up and Spo- you get kind of creeped out. Spoilers oh. for Star Trek Into Darkness, but the second he came on, I'm like, well, of course he's the bad. Like, come on, oh, yeah, like, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, guys, but he's always going to be Buckaroo Bonsai to me. Yeah, well, the, yeah. That's I, just, I have so much of abiding this, right? abiding love for that movie. I still want to see Buckaroo Banzai versus the World Crime League all these years later. So, I mean, I love this movie. Don't get me wrong. Jennifer Rubin is the actress. Jennifer Rubin, is... yeah, that's it. She had the she had the great line um, in my dreams: "I'm beautiful and bad." In Elm Street Three, which is hilarious. Uh, Weller, like, also, I loved his turn on Twenty Four in season five. He scared the bejesus out of me when he would show up. He played like, an effective villain. Yeah, yeah he was <laughs> a creep. So here we have, uh, so now we have both Peter Weller and um, former Mrs. De Palma, Nancy Allen. Yes. I know. Every time I see her, I think of Dress to Kill. Yeah, Dress to Kill. Yeah. Or Carrie is what I think Carrie. I draw. Yeah, Carrie. Uh, Blowout. I really liked her in Blowout. Blowout. Well, Blowout's a fantastic movie. And underrated. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Underrated in DePaul. Oh, incredibly yeah. underrated. No matter how much we tell people it's underrated, it's still underrated. Lithgow, right. Travolta, oh. Alan not being terrible in a movie. Like, I mean, it's... <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny, in the RoboCop series, she becomes, like, less believable as a cop with each one. Her hair grows longer, and her, her give-a-F towards her role as a cop just goes down. Like, the third one, she's just... Hanging out, like, come on, let's go. I've got a uniform on, that's enough. Did he throw Get the down keys? down with OCP. I was, I was, thank you. <laughs> Did he throw the keys yet, or is that later when he becomes RoboCop? I wasn't watching. <laughs> Look how much hair he has. Mikel Ferrer. <laughs> it's like almost a totally different person. I love the uh, mat work. How oh, I miss it. I, I love the mat work, too. Because you look at it, and it's like, there's some good, like... It's it works as an optical illusion. It makes you actually believe yeah. that it's there for an extent. Well, Matt, Matt can, like the thing I like about it is that it's either you believe it or it just looks like a great piece of art that they've tacked on yeah. to tell their story. And and this with CPU, you're just kind of like, mm. what? I was gonna say this part just gets directed by Aaron Sorkin. Yeah, the walking talking. <laughs> And Bradley Whitford would later be in the third. It's Star fun. of Halloween 3. Star Dan O'Hurley. Yeah, the only other place I know him from. Dan O'Hurley. It's funny how this movie has a lot of people that are playing kind of opposites from what you better know them as. Like, yeah. Peter Weller, we know more as like a villain, besides Robocop, obviously. We know him more as a villainous actor. Kurtwood Smith, who's like, you know, the dad on that 70s show, among other things. He's the bad guy in this movie. Ronnie Cox. Fairly nice guy. And, you know, the police captain, Beverly yeah. Hills cop, he's the bad guy in this movie. Miguel Ferrer, generally, like, kind of like, not necessarily always a bad guy, but generally kind of a slimy guy. He's, like, you know, essentially kind of he's a not good guy. Energetic. He's completely energetic in this, too, and he's yeah. not usually that way. It's and a, he's just credited as the old man, right? Yeah, Dan O'Hara, right. yeah. The old man. Would be replaced by Rip Torn in the third one. It's amazing who all came back, that they managed to get so much of the cast back for, like, the sequels hmm. that they did. 
like just like little parts and at at this point in history I'm just happy assuming there's only one RoboCop movie honestly this is not a franchise that has benefited from sequels from no I'm sorry and, and, or spin-offs like or spin-offs yeah, I, 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 one thing I can maybe enjoy is RoboCop vs. Terminator. I think that's the only thing I've enjoyed that still has yeah. RoboCop in it. I mean, I attempted that Prime Directives, and it was just, to me, you know, maybe there's fans out there, it was just garbage. Like, I just wasn't buying what they were selling at all, and I, I, I couldn't couldn't see myself spending six over six hours of my life watching it, so... It's the kind of thing where I don't think this is a franchise that lends itself to more movies necessarily. Well, like, the, the more you get of it, the the goofier it becomes. The more you know, like it works for a movie, and then it if yeah. I could see it, may if if Verhoeven came back, maybe it would work again. But <laughs> but Kirshner, he's there's times in RoboCop two where it it I think accidentally feels like the first one a bit, but. It'll go and just it doesn't understand the humor as well, and it doesn't understand that the the script doesn't understand the character of RoboCop as much, and it's kind of a mess too. But I I think RoboCop too. Like I know you 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 don't care for it, Aaron, but I think it's actually kind of it's it is watchable in comparison to a lot of the compared to yeah compared to kind of ones that tried to mimic it or you know just other entries in the series. I would say yes, RoboCop two is superior than those to an extent. Check out that awesome stop motion animation. Ed two hundred nine is such a wonderful creation. Oh yeah. Um, this yeah. is this is so this is such like a basically Harryhausen being placed into a sci fi movie. Right. Yeah. It's and, it's old school movie making and I love it because you know there's a lot of work that goes into getting this stuff. I mean even though we can tell that now, I mean there was a ton of work that went into that aside from someone clicking on a mouse and and it. Gives it personality, and yes, I'm and not a weight and texture. Yes. And now <laughs> I'm, I'm not at like I recognize that this is awesome, but I I'm not one to poo-poo CGI effects necessarily. If the work is done to put something in there that resembles personality, Gollum is the best example I can think of off yeah. the cuff. But that just obviously doesn't happen all the time. This that's always the case. Like regardless of how like dated it might look, which I don't think it does look very dated in this movie particularly, but in other movies like Jason and the Argonauts for example, like regardless of the age of it, it still feels like something that has something there to go with it, a soul almost to it just because of the the love and care put into it. Well, you feel right. like you'd know what it'd be like to be in its presence and you feel like you could touch it and and know what it feels like. With like CG, you're not sure. Yeah, it definitely has more tactile experience, you know, expression on on the on the on the film than CG does. There was um there was just an article nine oh nine this week actually about what they thought eighties uh, movies did better than you know modern movies. I love did. that, Jim. I I, and, I, I um, you sh- you shared that and I thanked you and it, and it went on the mm-hmm. person who originally shared its thing. <laughs> but I mean, RoboCop hits a lot of those points they made in that article, and effects being one of them. I mean, CGI isn't always better. And I think you see kind of that backlash with. Christopher Nolan and other guys going for trying to, you know, uh, make more effects in more practical, you know, ways, you know, rather than, you know, everything CGI all the time, like let's Jack just, Snyder or something. Let's just pause for one second because this is, in case you didn't get that there's going to be some dark humor in this movie, <laughs> scene yeah. like this, which is, which is terrifying. This is a terrifying thing to happen where a guy is literally facing a countdown to being shot to death by this machine that's basically malfunctioned. But then top that off with 
him being riddled with bullets, horrifically, and then someone yelling, get a medic in here. Yes. That is genius. <laughs> it, it, it's, it, it's something dark with a comic for adults and it scares the piss out of a kid. Yeah. I love this song, Glitch. Glitch. But yeah, that's that's good stuff. That's pure Verhoeven. That's the kind of things that make me like his better movies. Which this is. Yeah. Would we say what? What do you think is Verhoeven's best movie? I feel like you can narrow it down pretty quickly to like a couple. But this, this, maybe this or Total Recall. And I do yeah. like Starship Troopers a lot too. I don't know. I, I would put this. It would be this or Total Recall. I'd put it above yeah. Troopers though. I, I do like Troopers though. I agree. Yeah. But yeah, these two. And they're, they're great, I mean, they're great practical effects extravaganzas, they got humor, they, I mean, there's something that Verhoeven does better than anyone else, it's truly... And it's definitely very much of the 80s, you know I mean, that kind of action movie doesn't really get made now. No, because um, they don't have the balls, a lot of them play it safe, and, and everything's been run through because the 80s tested the gamut, and the 90s started honing in on things, and now we just kind of have a... Once in a while, something comes to change the game, but the, the copying of it, it becomes just I, this too much good, engineering. I love this matchup, because the idea oh, of yeah. the elevator in the foreground, there's people in the walking in the background, then there's still more to it. It's a very layered shot. Very cool. Very cool stuff. Yes. And it looks great on this Blu-ray. <laughs> like it oh, yeah. I mean, there's shots on this Blu-ray that look like they are they could have been like filmed a couple of years ago. They're, I mean, I'm not the saying future, the whole entire coffee cups thing. will be square. Yeah. The um, uh, Verhoeven, um, back to the favorite film stuff. Um, I love Troopers. I, I do love Starship Troopers a lot. I understand that it's not Heinlein's book, but for what Verhoeven did with it, and this is going to lead back to the sequel thing that I'm going to talk about in a second, but I, I really like that movie a lot. I really like how it's a, it's a it's a product of the 90s, but it still has Verhoeven's sensibilities attached mm-hmm. to it, which is something that's been missing. for. I mean, Verhoeven, like, Verhoeven's not, a, as much as I like, key films in Verhoeven's filmography, he's not a director that I love. Like, there's a lot of movies that are just... I don't think Basic Instinct's a good movie. Yeah, I, I don't like I, that either. Showgirls is obviously not a good movie. Oh. Hollow Man's, <laughs> Hollow Man's a movie. I guess, like, that's a movie that happens. It's on it AMC right now. Like, whatever. Uh, Black Book, though. Black Book's a, re- a great movie. A great World War II drama. So that not, only do we, not only do we get the dad from the 70s show, but we also... Oh, Ray Wise, too. Yeah, Ray Wise. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's just a, just a goon. <laughs> like, yeah, he's not even just faceless goon guy. But, but uh, just to wrap that up, yeah, Star- Starship Troopers and Robocop, it's hard to... Robocop almost just because the pace is a little bit... It's tighter. Like, it's a, it's a nice... It's a more brief experience, but I love I love Starship Troopers just as much, yeah. I think. It's, it's solid for me. This but, is a cool car chase coming up, too. I like this one. I like the kind of... Given that this movie's obviously not like super high budget, despite it being a kind of big scale sci fi action movie to it for whatever that's worth. It yeah. it, it feels like it, it feel it feels gritty because of kind of them working well, with what they had to work with. Well what's funny is they, they back then they, they didn't put all that money to these and they were just innovative and came up with stuff and now they throw so much money in these things and want this. It's like that it's not where it comes from. Yeah. Right. It's what makes me like early Robert Rodriguez movies, and, and not and not so much the Machete movies, despite and some of the cleverness that comes in. Stand in front of the screen, in front of my, in my garage. Thanks. <laughs> I don't know. I, I thought Machete Kills was pretty fun. 
I didn't want anything more from it than the cheeseburger of a movie, and that's what it was. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was. It was. I yeah, it was what it was. It didn't do anything else. I, if anything, I, I love the machete in space trailer stuff. Yeah, exactly. And the way the movie ended, yeah, I like those spoilers, but the way the the, end, the way the movie ended, uh, setting up that trailer. You know. Yeah, it, it'd be funny if if they d- don't make a third and machete began and ended as a fake trailer. This is a good car chase. Yeah. Oh, yeah. People flying around. Now they drive to their local refinery. <laughs> We've driven into Fallout 3. What a rough day, by the way. <laughs> yeah, first day for Murphy. Yeah. Another terrifying scenario, by the way, where Murphy gets kind of whined. Yes. Up. I mean, this is <laughs> this is creepy stuff. Yeah. Like, it's not just, I mean, it's not just action sensibilities. They're putting in some horror elements and disturbing stuff to it too. It's pretty suspenseful, and this might be one of the most ruthless things captured on film, at least in mainstream film. For sure. Yeah. I mean, that's why the movie had to be edited so much, and why this yeah. is we're watching the director's cut because it was so violent, even for the '80s, which is a yeah. decade full of kind of violent action movies. This one had a lot of stuff in it that I mean, I can understandably see why it needs to be trimmed down. There's many ways this guy could become RoboCop, but they, I mean. They made sure to give you a reason. <laughs> yeah, and I mean that's it has balls. They they had that back then in the eighties. Yeah, like I mean, it's interesting because I'm I'm in the middle right now for Retropolis, my blog. I'm gonna uh, do um, my top ten movies from each of the years of the eighties, starting nineteen eighty through eighty nine, and uh, it's it's amazing that the aesthetic is so different now in films than it was then. You know the 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 length of shots, you know the length of dialogue scenes. I mean, I don't want to sound like the old man decrying you know the MTVization of film or whatever, but it just, um, I mean, films aren't even made the same way. I mean, if you look no. at the pacing of a movie from the seventies or eighties, I mean, to, compared to the you know, or, <laughs> what a great practical effect there, right? Railing kill. But a lot, um, a lot of work done to get Nancy Allen to look at that guy's penis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Anyway, but yeah, but you keep saying they had balls, and that's a good way to put it. You know, they they were they bold. Were figuring, you know, they were figuring out the blockbuster. Like it was, right. was kind of new, and they were taking pushing chances. Limits. And the thing I like is, I mean, they didn't throw money. I mean, these movies are great because people were challenged with budgetary constraints and and had to be innovative. Right. And, that, and that's why I brought up Rodriguez. Not, that, that's like the sterling example. But like you watch movies oh, like Desperado, yeah. you watch movies like Desperado, El Mariachi, and those are those are solid action movies that rely on the fact that he was working with the bare minimum to make like a full scale action movie, and he did a great job. I love well, watching he, Desperado. He's, I love he's watching. Technically, he still so, does. He still but he's does. Just got yeah. Technological crutches now. Yes, I, I think he relies yeah. on that in a way that hasn't made me appreciated his movies as much as I used to. But again, I still like Rodriguez more than a lot of other directors. But... Yeah. I mean, you got to agree, even if you don't like it as much as his early stuff, what he did with Sin City visually was just so incredible. Like, Sin City's a whole different. As... Like, we can, I can, we got to find yeah. a Rodriguez movie to do at one point, just because I, I have a lot of thoughts on his career in general that I'd love to be able to kind of go into. But let's right. <laughs> stay on up, up. up, here we go. Yeah. This, this is just, it's. Go this way. It's just so cool. This This haunted me as a kid watching it. I, I was when this came out I was five, but I probably saw it when I was six or seven. But I mean 
I just couldn't believe they would do this to such a good guy, you know. They didn't Every take much to establish him, you know. They they do what they can because he's comes in, he's new, he's got a kid, we know that, and he's a nice guy, and so you really need, but you just can't believe it's, the way he goes out. It's fun because I didn't like I saw I've seen Robocop plenty of times before <laughs> that '70s show came out, but I never really connected the two until like a while later, and so I feel like I would have had a way different opinion of Kurtwood Smith had I like really thought about the fact that this is the man that blew away Murphy as rough as he does in this film, and then seeing him as like wholesome dad character, like actually yeah, he was not all that wholesome. wholesome. Yeah, I'm giving a lot of credit yeah. for putting his foot in Eric Foreman's ass. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't shooting people's legs off though. Every time I see Ray Wise, I just want to watch Twin Peaks all over again. Every time I see the Blue Black Ray Henchman, set coming. Yeah, I heard. Every time I see the Black Henchman, I'm thinking, God, he needs to shut up. And just laugh. This is one of those just those no win scenarios where you're just trying to think of a way he gets out of this and then just mm-hmm. can't. Well, you think Lewis might come and save him? Like, yeah. You keep you're, you're hoping that I assume in the theater, like if doing this for the first time, you're like Lewis has to be somewhere, right? She's got to be around the corner. Well, I mean, you establish your world, you establish your villain, you establish your uh, sympathetic lead character all in the first twenty minutes here. Oh, oh here we go. Ah, that's gonna leave a mark. And they're all laughing around him. That's the worst yeah. too. Like. It's not like he just got caught. Like, they're torturing him. (laughs) Yep. I should put it in stuck in the middle with you in the background. Oh, God, yeah. Oh, Jesus. I just... Oh, Oh, the whole arm comes off. Oh, man. It is... Blowing him away. Lewis is helpless. He can't do anything. Ah, that's a lot that of shot sh- of not being able to see him. Just all the guns going off. Just... That's a lot of shots. And he's still alive. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, this and the end of it's just brutal. It's like, okay, they're going to leave him like that, and then he'll be okay, but no. He's a bad guy that makes sure he gets... And that's a good practical head. Oh, yeah, that looks like a good head. God, that guy. (laughs) I was laughing. (laughs) Just jump up and down. Oh, thanks. Glad you could come by. (laughs) Did you... So she just... Lost her gun when she fell. Yeah. Which is fine. <laughs> uh, before we get to the uh, you know long sequence that I really dig of how they kind of put him back together, um, to wrap up the sequel point I was trying to make earlier, what would almost work best for RoboCop in terms of if I had a preferred way of making sequels is if they approached it, here's a weird reference to, is with like uh, like Richard Linklater does it as a four series or... Even Kevin Smith's been doing it with his Clerks films, where you kind of take time to have movies set decades apart for each other, where the sensibilities of the time have changed. 
and it could reflect the political and social commentary that emerges in these in these RoboCop movies, which Verhoeven basically did without you know making sequels to his films. Yeah, you have Starship Troopers, which is doing a lot of the same things that RoboCop does, just from with a different filter. Um, he hasn't done that with you know. That said, I haven't seen his seventies films, but it. It just seeing more of RoboCop, similar to something like I don't know, like Austin Powers. It works once because it's a parody of something. It doesn't really work in sequels, even if it's funny or the action's exciting in RoboCop movies or whatever. Which I would argue it's not really. It it's not the same. It's not representing the same thing it was trying to accomplish the first time around. And yeah, it doesn't I mean, seem it doesn't seem to really find what it's trying to go for in those other times around. Yeah, you can always stretch the premise of stuff. Oh, hey, he's reading Dreadstar. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, the, the thing is, we, under, we understand that, but a studio just says, oh, it's just RoboCop. They don't understand the full right, full scale of it. They're just like, get me this guy, get me Peter Weller back in that costume, shooting up guys, and for, that's well, so all it is. I mean, it's a lot of times when they remake a film, they don't understand the formula of what made the original so great, you know. Yeah, they happens just... a lot. You know, the Total Recall remake was a good example of that. You know? Yeah, that's pretty much the ideal example. Without going into yes. the next, we film promise we'll we're about. not remaking the the movie. We're we're, we're doing the book justice. <laughs> and nothing to do with the book, dude. I have complete works of Philip K. Dick on my shelf in front of me, and I can tell you, it had yeah. less to do with the book than the original movie did. Yep. But um, if you're gonna at least you know if you're gonna attempt to make a remake. You know, at least know or reboot of a franchise. At least understand what made that franchise good and compelling to begin with. Yeah, or, I, know, I have to give J.J. Abrams credit in the first Star Trek movie. He kind of, kind of understood that. He understood what the dynamics were. You know, between the friends, you know, the the idea of exploration, the idea of incredible odds. You know, and and just you know those kind of things. He was definitely able to put that across in, in you know the Star Trek reboots, so. or at least in the first movie. Well, I mean, with like, with, I appreciate when, you know, you go against Grant, you're, you got a property, but you, you do your own thing with it. Like this, like, you need to under, you know, you have to have the RoboCop, but does, does everything about it have to be the same way to get there? And it also, RoboCop has, what, the political commentary with it, but you don't have to tell the same story of the crime, crime boss with all the, and with the corruption stuff, you can do something completely new with it. Yeah. Like just the concept. Like let's let's like look at the Dawn of the Dead remake. Yeah. The the yeah. The, the first one. I mean, the premise was people hold up in a shopping mall with a zombie outbreak, and that's all they needed, and they did. I mean, you don't have to have the same characters. You can just you can go ahead and do that and be your own, and it becomes unpredictable. Like I would rather see that than a movie I know every beat. Right. Going so I guess I'm more a fan of the, the reboot concept than just flat out remaking. Right. I mean, it's a tricky. It's mainly just because the nomenclature. So like reboot, reimagining, remake, like yeah. whatever. Re-imagining. What what gets it's me? It's the is, same thing again. What gets me is I am not inherently against remakes at all. I uh-huh. I, I I enjoy seeing various concepts taken and like mixed around in Blender and see what else would come up with the next time. Like there's a lot of ways to do. A lot of different. That's why you, you know, as much as it's fun to say, hey, look, it's not original or that is original. Like, there's not many stories to tell. 
And so if I'm see, if I'm going to see like a, a same core concept be used again, I'm happy to see that be played with and be delivered upon in new ways and what have you. Like I, nope. there's a lot of movies that have been remakes or have been announced as remakes or that came out that initially I probably was for or probably wasn't against or probably looked forward to in some capacity just because there's a lot of ways to handle that story. Old Boy's an example of that. I was very intrigued by that because yeah. I Spike Lee's a very interesting director for me and him directing a gritty revenge drama with weird psychological elements could have been something amazing. That movie sucked. It was terrible. But he <laughs> puts his touch on it and makes his own spin. Yeah, and that's the problem. So many of these feel like either they're just hired on or they didn't, I mean, to an extent, didn't get it or just didn't try to challenge themselves. And it just suffers because of that. And it gives, you know, the concept of bad names. So everyone says, I hate remakes. Let's stop them. And yeah, but sure. No, original films be great. Yeah. Be great to get more original films. But nobody, nobody gets mad about Broadway revivals and yeah. people doing different types of plays and not putting out new play mm. plays. So yeah, there, there's a lot you can do, and there's brand recognition is 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 the thing right now. So you know, if you have a property and you want to revive it, and I mean, we're we're entering an era where the reason there's so much brand recognition is because we're hitting that 80s era where a lot of franchises started and a lot of sequels were becoming the trend because before before the 80s was there a ton of sequels coming out other than bond i mean you had like they'd go to part two and that would be the end of it i mean there's there's... there were series that that begot sequels um you know, other than Bond, you know, before that, I mean... Planet of the Apes was, like, the big series before Star Wars happened, too. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. obviously, we can name examples and what have you, but, yeah, but I know... But few I, and far between. I certainly know what you're saying, Brandon, and I say... And, I mean, there's... There were franchises, sure, and even there were remakes, I mean, before that, a lot. But, I mean, it's... Yeah. It certainly feels so much more apparent now, which also comes just from the, the availability of all the material we have now, as opposed to back then, where you can buy these movies on Blu-ray, DVD, and revisit them on TV yeah. and what have you. You just didn't have that back in the day. No. You could get away with doing the same thing twice. Yeah. Because, you know, there, there was no reference point. Mm-hmm. But if you look at some concepts that have been remade and reimagined, like, for a lot, you know, lots of times over the years, like, like look at the concept of Frankenstein and Frankenstein's monster, you know? Yeah. In, I mean, all the, you've gone all the way from the, the Thomas Edison uh, Frankenstein that he made in 1901 to, oh, here's the baby food. Ugh. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <laughs> that I, I Frankenstein with, you know, Aaron Eckhart and everything in between. I mean, you know, some of these archetypes of characters thrive on reimagining. I mean, look at Batman, you know, or... Superheroes in general, yeah. everything like that. But I, I agree with Aaron that generally, when someone goes and makes a straight remake rather than a reboot or a reimagining, uh, it, it seems to fall flat. At least I can't think of anything off the top of my head where the remake, you know, was uh, it was markedly better than the original uh, off the top of my head. Well, would you count the thing? But would you really call that a remake? Like that's where that's it's what I'm wondering. That's what I was calling that more of a reimagining. That's why the nomenclature bugs me. Like it's hard to kind yeah. of. Where do you draw the line? Yeah. Well, with playing around with things, it's funny that, um, let, let's say quality of the movies aside, but um, people celebrate like the Hammer Horror. There's yeah. like a ton of fans and they love it. And that's basically, you know, a, a series of remakes based off the Universal Monster properties. But then when, you know, someone like a Platinum Dunes comes along and decides to remake other known horror properties, people put up their dukes and just instantly hate it. 
upon recognition, but will these same people will be like, oh, the Hammer Horror was so awesome when it was basically doing the same thing with a different generation of horror films. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's always you know, these these concepts and, and characters that people recognize are going to be reinterpreted and redone over and over. I mean, like you say, these a lot of these franchises that started in the '80s, RoboCop, you know, Total Recall. Blade Runner, those kind of things, they they have the brand recognition now because the kids that grew up with those franchises are now, you know, the disposable income adults who are spending the money yeah. and, and, you know, making decisions in their households. So, um, you know, it just, it's just a matter of what's, what sticks in the public psyche and what, what doesn't, you know. Let's, uh, I, go, Brent, go. What? No, go ahead. I was, I want, I want to wrap this up so we can go back to RoboCop. Oh, go back <laughs> yeah, to RoboCop. I'm sorry about the digression. No, it's, no, I mean, this is an interesting discussion, and I certainly hope that people enjoy it just because it, we do these commentaries because it's fun to kind of get on these tangents that are inspired by it because we didn't make this movie. If you want to listen to it, like, <laughs> there, there's a commentary on this movie that's quite good with Verhoeven and Ed Neumeyer and the other producer that, you know, really goes into detail about Robocop. We're just, you know, having fun here, but it's fun to have these conversations. With that said, to wrap up the remake, reboot, reimagining point, I say this constantly. I don't. I'm not. I'm not against remakes. I'm against bad movies. So. Yep. <laughs> I, yep. I just. I, I just want to see good movies in the theater. There you we go. We talked a little, all over. That was awesome. He cut the keys. We talked all over RoboCop's kind of birth. Um. Very very cool scene. I love all the the kind of leading the Murphy's you know actual death as the <laughs> medics do what they can, getting to RoboCop's first person perspective of him being you know built and. Figured it's a out. great reveal. It's a build-up to a, a wonderful reveal. It is. And you, you go and you go and you go, and then you finally get to him at the gun range, and it's just cool. Like, it it, yeah. it just it feels very confident in showing you this new version of a character you haven't seen before, that you're, you're getting well, who this person is. I like the nervous feeling of the entire police force, too. Yeah. With him, as I'm like, I just don't know. I'd buy that for a dollar. That for a dollar. <laughs> I love that people in this world, in this universe, just love the TV. Like they, they enjoy all the programs. They get the. Honey, you wear my pants. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I I, I I like to see this guy casing the joint in the past of like finding out that there's a safe underneath all the cans and everything. Yeah, I love I love the Oh the, good product placement. <laughs> Natty is that Natty Light. I also enjoy that we're now just gonna see Robocop, you know, solve crimes. Like we're gonna see yeah. him be a police officer. It's that first night out montage that a lot of superhero movies have. Mm-hmm. Certain new movies lack. We'd have been in trouble if they didn't have those double doors. Like we get the we know who Murphy was. We got a good glimpse of him. I mean, it's not like we know a ton about Murphy, but I think we the movie gave us a good like for being a movie that's you know as quick paced as this is, and I do think Robocop's a very quick pace for all that it accomplishes while doing it effectively. I think we got a good sense of Murphy. We got a good sense of Lewis. We know Miguel Ferrer's character, and like we get we get along with the world building. We know who these characters are. They don't. Yeah. They're. I wouldn't say that the deepest characterizations are needed or whatnot, but like they're there. Like you get who these people are and. Now we have RoboCop, and you get a good chance to see what it is to be RoboCop. You, you get to see how his directives work. You get to see kind of how effective yeah. he is as a law official. Yeah. You know, I, I also want to 
Peter Weller's performance is probably one of the most understated things about the movie because we just probably take it for granted. But he's absolutely amazing. Like all the movement, that's like all him, and it just it works so much. When other actors do it, it just feels like a guy trying to be a robot. Under hair off. It's yeah. It's great physical actor, physical acting. Like, he said he wanted to act like a bird with his move, movements. Apparently, poor Lane Boozler. I can see that. But yeah, it's it's amazing what he brings to it. And when you see other guys doing it, it just doesn't work. And uh, I think the, that's why in the remake they make the choice to keep his face very exposed for a good. Keep his, yeah, keep his face very exposed and make him like a human. That's you know being a machine than uh, instead of a machine. Which is interesting just because they cast a person, and I like Joel Kinnaman in general as an actor, yeah. uh, regardless of my this thoughts is an, on This is an 80s move with balls that people would think would be too hokey nowadays, but it's still awesome. It is awesome. And I guess pun intended with balls. But, yeah, but yeah, mm-hmm. Robocop shooting through Good the dress. There. They Good wouldn't do that in a movie nowadays because they feel it would be too cheesy, even though you know we look back on this now as awesome. It's like one of the bad, most badass things in this movie. Yeah. Um. As I was saying real quick, because uh, I don't want to go too much into the remake, but Joel Kinnaman, it's funny how they leave his face exposed for the most part just because it's not like he's a well-known actor. It's not like you're not, get, it's not, like yeah. you're not getting your money's worth because you didn't get to see Joel Kinnaman's face for the entire duration of the film. Yeah, right. <laughs> Which you think, you know, Peter Weller had no problem with his face being covered a lot of this film. Yeah. Like, his face is only exposed when it has to be in this. And that leads to a great kind of reveal. Not, I mean... You get to kind of see the extent of what he's been turned into when he takes his helmet off, which is interesting to me. And, and you know, it's a weird thing that this movie has that it's just unmatched is we're following this, like, straight-up robot. Like, we're, you know, yeah. we're connected to what he was, but, mm-hmm. like, we we really can't relate to what he is now. And it's there's kind of this, like, tragic feeling and almost... there's. Some sense of disturbance, at least I have, you know, watching it because I just I can't understand. Yeah, the emotional arc is essentially it, it kind of drops up, it drops and picks up again later on. Like in the middle of the movie, it's almost like Miguel Ferrer is kind of the character we want to root for. Like, yeah, I mean, you're, you're hoping Robocop essentially by Oops. the end is something he's not ever going to be again. Yeah. <laughs> Which is again where the sequels kind of run into problems. Like it, they don't really. Yeah. I, honestly, now you've watched. The, I haven't watched them in for. I mean, Robocop three I saw in theaters once when it came out. Robocop two I've seen maybe twice in the past twenty years. I don't know. Yeah, but you might have a you know a more a deeper a better recollection of this. But it does kind of reboot the character over and over again, right? Like it doesn't really. And Robocop, well, Robocop two starts out as maybe continuing where this one leaves off, and then just abandons it and yeah. goes. Yeah. Generic, and then Robocop three. Uh, That's a movie. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he it has was a movie. It was a movie that was made. Yes. I'll give it. I'll give it that it kind of feels like the uh, a concluding chapter to this whole arc, but it's just not not well done at all. I mean, it's a it's a movie made to sell toys for kids. I mean, that's mm-hmm. it's essentially Robocop three is a kids movie. I mean, they finally gave in because like I, like I've written about like. Uh, us kids back then, it was really weird. We had all these R-rated movies we couldn't see, but we could buy the toys. We could play the video games. We could have the shirt. We could watch the Saturday morning cartoon based on it. And they finally, you know, with Ro- Robocop was probably the poster child for it because, I mean, what kid doesn't think he looks awesome and isn't going to the video store and seeing the the box, the cardboard stand up? And 
Actually, know, we the first R-rated it. toy uh, I remember seeing was uh, Alien. Yeah, Alien. There was yeah. a 12-inch toy of the original Alien when the original Alien movie came out, and that was rated R when it was released. Yeah, they, they marketed us, and then RoboCop 3 finally gave in. It was PG-13, which, you know, kids have an easier chance of getting into that than... And, oh, yeah, and RoboCop in that movie had a jetpack, and you could remove his arm yeah. and add a gun to it. I mean, it's it was all... And there was a kid in it that was like a computer whiz that assisted RoboCop and, oh, and snuggled with him. Oh, like, my God. This is, but yeah. You're absolutely right. I mean, Alien, uh, the Alien toys, the Predator toys. Um, there were a lot of R-rated toys for kids in the There was, in the video game, there was the Aliens arcade game. There mm-hmm. was the Friday the 13th video game. The Rambo had a cartoon. Terminator yep, stuff. Yep. I have a Rambo There's, cartoon yeah. action figure, actually. Yeah, I mean, that's, it was all the R-rated movies marketed to kids. That's like, cause we went to the video store and there was always those movies we, we wanted, but the parents would say, no, you're too young. And it's, it was just, there's, I don't think, I don't know if there's anything like that nowadays cause we have so much PG-13 stuff, but. This commercial is fantastic. Man, I want this game. For Nukem. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just like the idea of like a mother yelling at her daughter about nuclear disarmament or crossing the borders. It's like... uh, I have a question because I haven't seen RoboCop two in the longest time. Is it? Mo- I don't know if it's. Is it more violent than one, or is it? Le- at least feels like it's nastier. That's kind it, of the re- recall that I have of it. It's a little. It's a little colder. It's the the gore isn't there that's here, but it's. I mean, some of the scenes you'd feel like they would fit right in here. Is it Tom Noonan who's in the suit? Yeah. Yes, that's one, that's one of the plus sides yeah. to, to RoboCop. Yeah. He plays RoboCop too. Um, I, really like, I really like him. He's one of my favorite characters. Yeah. I, yeah, I just, oh, yeah, just watching Manhunter. He's great in Manhunter. Yeah, he's great in Manhunter. Oh, man. I like, him, I like him in Last Action Hero as well. That's the... That's, I mean... Tom Noonan in Last Action Hero is something out of a completely different movie. About an, It's out of an, like, an R-rated <laughs> movie with toys. Uh, yes. They probably had a toy. I want to get that Tom Noonan last action hero toy, but he's certainly devoted to that character. Like, it fe- like he feels like he lived that character. That's how good he is in yeah. that movie, which otherwise I don't like that much. See, yeah. I'm, I, I'm one of the, the 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 small legion of people who get it has into a, it. It has a good defending argument. Like, it has a good. I'm sorry, it has a good crowd that defends it. I I don't think it. I think it's it's ahead of its time to a point that's just too much. It just doesn't yeah. like, make it work for me. Mainly because the kid's so annoying. That's what it really is. <laughs> Like he Arnold's, was, Arnold. He gets, was a kid they were pushing back then too. That ended up being nothing, right? Yeah, yeah. You got like My Girl Two and <laughs> My Girl Two. Uh, Austin O'Brien, right? Yeah. It's weird that I can recall that name so easily. I love, by the way, and this how this one starts with the the shot from the guy's feet in the stall. Yeah. Watching the guy, it's great stuff that you're not going to find in any other RoboCop movies. I Bobby do like. Cox, he thought he could be so bad. Here in a, and in Total Recall too. Yeah, I do like how this scene kind of plays out. Maybe Big Old Fair just kind of standing silently, and like listening to him just tell him it's like, oh, don't disrespect me. And then Ronnie Cox just goes crazy. Dick Jones. You know, aside from the themes and stuff, this movie doesn't really. I I guess the aesthetic maybe, but it doesn't like. It's not like super eighties to me. I'm talking like costuming and sets. Um, Don't really well, I mean, the hairstyles for the ladies are for sure, but um, yeah, it's definitely '80s future. I think. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I I see it as 
when I think RoboCop, I do think 80s. I, I, w- I would agree with you that it's not because of, like, here's that pop music that you remember or whatever, but yeah. it, it has the filmmaking sensibilities really scream 80s to me in terms of yeah. how it goes about getting the action done, the kind of maybe, maybe way the goer... the way the 80s in a lot of things. Compared to, like, something like... Well, like, actually, because I was watching Michael Mann and William Friedkin movies, compared to having synthesizer scores and yeah. use of color and things like that, like, yeah, I can see how it, he didn't wash his hands. So, to back up, I have been watching... I've been going over my William Friedkin and Michael Mann collection <laughs> recently because they're very similar directors. So I In anticipation for Sorcerer in April. Actually, kind of, yeah, but and just like I haven't watched a lot of those movies because Thief came out on Blu-ray um, on Criterion, so I watched Thief the other day. Um, Great James Caan movie. Um, love that movie. So that's why I watch Manhunter because that's another Michael Mann movie. But I mean, yeah, those movies because they're all besides French Connection, which I watched, and, and Exorcist, obviously. We freaking wore seventies too. It's kind of seventies then eighties, but the the one when they do get to the eighties, they have a and Ridley Scott was like this too. They have a lot of that kind of atmospheric feel to them. The kind of a lot of smokiness mixed mm-hmm. with some colors and the the use of weird kind of scores and things like that. Uh, and those movies do, for, to an extent, scream '80s. So I can see a RoboCop doesn't necessarily scream it as high as some of those movies do, or other movies like like Top Gun for like Tony Scott's another yeah. great. The Scott yeah. Brothers were, were big in the '80s. Yeah. Or even Beverly Hills Cop. Just like yeah, a lot of action movies that kind of rely on reflecting the time exactly as opposed to this that's where it's parodying the time to an extent even though it's set in the future there's a styrofoam uh, mcdonald's container from the 80s <laughs> yeah oh man on that table this is why i like these commentaries because i'm trying to like i work my way into a corner and then i logically figure myself out <laughs> it's, fun, it's, it's, fun, it's fun to think about this kind of thing that i otherwise would only i'd have to be in a conversation like this outside of the podcast to get into <laughs> That's, when they just flashing to that scene is haunting. Mm-hmm. What so something that works in this movie really well? Because um, I don't want to talk about the remake too much, but the um, this movie is essentially once Murphy dies, he died. Like he's he's gone. Yep. Like he died. And this now he's RoboCop. Now he's RoboCop. The movie re- reintroduces Mur- the new Murphy, who is RoboCop, into the world as RoboCop. He's a robot. Like that's what happened. This is new technology. They haven't dealt with this before. They've only tried things. Uh, now I'm getting flashes of RoboCop 2, actually. I'm trying to remember. I think there's... Aren't there, like, brains in jars in RoboCop 2 or something like that? Uh, yeah. Something is like there, and there's a lot of, like, messed up versions of RoboCop 2 as well. Just, just talking about this movie is making me think of the things from RoboCop 2 I haven't thought about in years. Um, but... So, Jake yeah. Plissken. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> like, Plissken, like, like his, his fatter brother, Jake Plissken. Right, Jake Plissken. <laughs> <laughs> um... We gotta do that commentary at some point. We gotta keep that going at some point. We gotta get that one going for Jim. Um, but so yeah, Robocop's, he's emerged in this world now as Robocop. And it, this is new to, you know, everybody involved. And because it's involved, what, it involves his brain, right? Like, or part, at least, like, is his brain involved in this? Like, is it in there? Yeah, that's where, that's where he gets the memories yeah. from. So, yeah, right? So he, like, there's something to be said about kind of consciousness and how it awakens from within a robot who realizes that he was once a man. And that's a neat thing. That is a, like, this movie, for how fast it moves and how many things are going on, 
it manages to make that aspect work and make it interesting. He's never anything more than a machine. Yes. He, yeah, it doesn't go back and forth between what he is and what he isn't. It's just giving you one facet of what the RoboCop character is and how... It's not a pansy. It's not safe. It's it's like, we're going to make this bold decision. Your hero is never coming back. Here he is. Deal with it. Like, there's not, like, any worry about what, you know, what an audience might think about it or, or how you're going to deal with being sympathetic. It, it, it makes its decision, sticks with it, and just, like sees it through and it be, it's more it's far more interesting that way it is because it allows for you to look at these little things that go with that but you're always on a straight arc of this is what this is yeah and, and branches that go it, off it that prove anything, to have interesting points. anything we can't get from him as a machine we're getting right here through debates through other characters mm-hmm. about right. you know you know is this right what's he thinking all this we don't need robocop to do that we have all these people that sit and discuss it and villains to chat about it and it works that way oh by the way in terms of the um is it omnicorp yeah ocp ocp ocd you know what I mean? in terms of the ocp employees that chick with the big glasses completely hot i'm sorry <laughs> she's, she's 80s parker posey she is 80s parker posey. <laughs> she's super hot austin o'brien sorry was in both lawnmower men movies oh just looking at that <laughs> i knew he was in the first one i forgot he was also in the second one that movie's terrible um yeah Ugh. lost in cyberspace slash job's war it had two titles that was uh well, That's how good it was. One, that was i i had to they filled up the whole front of the director vhs or no box, that's not he's the first one it's the second one's got uh matt frewer matt frewer uh, what's yeah. his name um um was it um max hedrum max hedrum, max hedrum yeah yeah. From the remake of Dawn of the Dead. From the remake, <laughs> yes, it all comes back. Yeah. He's an orphan black. I really need to watch that at some point. It's sitting on my table, literally. I can see it in front of me. Matt Frewer is? Yeah. yeah oh, I've been wow. meaning to check that show out. I hear it's pretty terrific. He's been in so many things. He's on a lot. He does a lot of genre stuff for She's Like. He was on Eureka. Yeah. He had a good Star Trek The Next Generation. He was, uh, the, he was the trash can man in the uh, Mick Garris's version of Stephen King's The Stand. He was on Falling Skies for this past yeah. season. Which he had I, a good turn in 50-50. He did have a good, yeah. He's the kind of guy, and he's one where I, when I think of Max, Max Hedrum, I don't really think of him as Max Hedrum that much, but I do think of him in Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Like, that's a movie I think of him in um, quite a bit. But besides that, where he kind of plays kind of the more aggressive father between him and Rick Moranis, um, obviously. I feel he brings a lot of what, like a Jim Carrey. That's what, that's what I was about to say. He brings kind of this, not necessarily goofy, but there's like a level of like inherent pathos to his character yes. that seems like obvious to me. Where like if he's on screen, I'm like, oh, all right, I can trust this guy. <laughs> I love this scene. I love how it's not just like I'm gonna rob you. There's like per- there's personality to the scene. Like <laughs> like that's what that's what it is. Like it's not enough that I'm just gonna rob you for gas and some money. Yeah, I'm gonna. Well, I love that he he makes him sit and watch him pump gas. Yeah, and then he goes up and he talks about him being in college and like he engages in a we- random weird conversation that's gonna go nowhere. If anything, it might lead to him just being killed. Robocop arrives, and it's just the movie doesn't need that, but it has it anyway, and it gives it an identity because of it. Mm-hmm. You you know, real real quick, I don't want to go back on the subject, but. We forgot to mention that's important and relevant to this. Those remakes that everybody complains about do do some good because we've got this awesome new Blu-ray of RoboCop. Yeah, the best thing that came out of Total Recall was the new Total Recall Blu-ray. New Total Recall Blu-ray. When that crummy Stepfather movie came out, we got the original Stepfather on Blu-ray. Like, 
good things can come from the old movies because of them coming into relevance with the remake. I, right. I often get into conversations about people that end up checking out the original because of them learning that it existed mm-hmm. to begin with, regardless of if they, you know, because of which one they saw first can often lead to like, well, I don't know, like the new one. Like it's just, but it does, it opens up the conversation. Yes. And this massive explosion, I guess they, they had some, they, they were on watch after they uh, filmed this explosion from the fire department and stuff. Almost, they were, the city was wanting to shut them down the rest of the shoot, I guess. Yeah, Verhoeven does it big. Is this and in it's Detroit? real! Yeah, it is. Is this in Detroit? Thing up. This is in Houston. It's in Houston. It's supposed yeah. to be Detroit, though. It's yeah. Right. Okay. What I love about Ed 209, it's just like the Daleks. It can be foiled by a flight of stairs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this production, apparently, everybody was pretty much miserable on it. Okay, man. I remember reading in, I mean, in one of the magazines at the time how uncomfortable the suit was. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, he kept dehy- like his body kept dehydrating, and they had to install well, a this... fan. Didn't... God, mm-hmm. <laughs> well, the, the second RoboCop was even worse for him, I guess. Cause... And uh, he didn't come. They say, they say he was filming Naked Lunch, so he didn't come back for the third one. But he wasn't coming back to begin with. Yeah, it was a mix of like it sucks to be in that suit, and he just really hated the um <laughs> the, the working with the script and everything, right? Yeah, yeah. They, him and uh, Nancy Allen had problems with the script mm-hmm. for the second one. I love that at some point they installed like this giant needle into his arm, where it's like, yeah, he's probably gonna have to download things. Let's put the needle in his arm. He's got the R two D two. Like I can just right. do random stuff if I plug in. This is like the dark version of that, where he can completely eviscerate you with it if he needs. To. Yeah, he can like stab you with it if he wanted. Then the remake does the new uh, Robo RoboCop have a USB? Yeah, <laughs> it's a it's a, it's a laser disc, ironically. Yes. <laughs> He's got a RoboCop. <laughs> oh yeah, it's all in the cloud in the remake, it's right? The cloud, yeah. We we don't need to talk about. <laughs> oh man, I'm trying. I'm saving so much up for the actual podcast we do on the remake of RoboCop. But Future Logic is hilarious when you have cloud technology. I always love Future Computers too. Yes. Mm. Oh, concave or convex screens and yeah, Bill CRT. Yeah. They they also have promotional stills in there. Yeah. This is my headshot. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> he lived on Primrose Lane. <laughs> oh, <boy>. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the second RoboCop is, is part of the goofiness. Is like it begins with RoboCop stalking his his wife. Yeah. And it's just really, the way they film it, it's really weird, and it becomes like this, it's actually an interesting subject for the movie, but they they abandon it, like, within the first 15 minutes, because, like, she... He's like Michael Myers? Is he, is he like, yeah. Hang, he's hanging by yeah. bushes and stuff? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it's like she looks out the window and he drives off, and it's just kind of, it's, it's creepy and weird, and then she wants him, like, it, it's a lot of stuff that the RoboCop remake tackles, as well, but they, they, it's kind of building off, you know, where his realization of his identity at the end of this film, but they just drop it. What do they establish no, in the, in the remake about, do we, do we actually see his wife in the remake or, or like, does he interact with her, I guess? In the remake of Robocop? Uh, sorry, not the remake, sorry, the sequel to Robocop. 
yeah, he interacts. She comes to see him at the police station because um, she's going crazy because she thinks he he uh, knows who she is. And then there's legal people in Omnicorp saying like, "Dude, you need to stop this realization stuff." And they want his mind wiped and and is and she, they just is she receptive of her husband? Like, does she want him in her life? Yes, yes. She if there's any part of him there, she wants him present. But they, you know, the Omnicorp doesn't want it and. They're mad at RoboCop and for remembering stuff. And they just want mind wiped. See, there's things like that that make sense for a sequel, I guess. I can see how that can play into yeah. installments of RoboCop. I like that it's not in here. <laughs> it just ex- overextends a movie that otherwise doesn't need it. There's so much yeah. going on. And she comes back to play the wife. Okay. Who's the wife? Who is that? Looks familiar. Uh, Can't even... Gosh. It's not conveniently laid out here on the old Wikipedia machine. Let's see what else. She looks familiar though. I think she. I think I looked her up. She's done some others. A couple like, like eighties movies. Like she looks like eighties yeah. movies wife. <laughs> What's her name? Eighties movies wife. Ellen. Oh, she's. No. She's in all three RoboCops. Yeah. Friday Night Lights. I don't know. I don't know what I recognize her from in particular. We go clubbing. This is just like Dark Knight. (laughs) (laughs) Random boobs out in the club. I'm counting on it. That'd be... (laughs) <laughs> tosses some guy <laughs> the roof. Uh, Ray Wise is boogieing down too. Now he's got a... Leon Nash. Sorry, I missed that. I'm trying to dance and load my gun. <laughs> so I don't want to not look cool. I can chalk it up to him being on high on drugs, but at what point were you like, if I kick him in the cod piece? That's probably going to work. That was a we'll stereotypical kind of thing back then. Where Yeah. You can see why Ray Wise got hired just then, too. It's because he can make his eyes look that big. Yes. So here we go. Signature yes. line coming up, guys. Obligatory oh. cocaine scene. This doesn't really help with my argument that, you know, he's a good guy. <laughs> he's yeah. doing coke blow hookers. Well, I think it, it, to a sense that he, he was, well, he's never really a good guy because he tries to profit off that death immediately. He can't think of, oh my gosh, look what just happened. He's, you know, got to get to the top of the chain. This is how you do it. Well, yeah, I mean. And, and he's good during RoboCop, but I think he gets overcome with his, you know, money and fame that... Do we really? I mean, besides this, I, again, it comes from, there's only so much time to spend with all these characters, but we don't get a whole sense that he's a horrible person, necessarily. No. He had an he, idea, which worked, <laughs> and, he, and, you know, he's spending his money. <laughs> In a, okay. I, I, well, so you're, you're trying to rationalize and justify him spending money on hookers and blow. Yeah, it's the 80s, mm. or it's the 20-whatever the fuck. <laughs> it's the 20 whatever it was. It's the, it's the because the future. Oh. <laughs> well, I, I'm just saying future. his motivations, his, his start to this was wrongful from what he witnessed to what he took advantage of in that scenario said bitches leave which is amazing was uh, it, it kind of immoral 
Bitches leave, yes. Well, I mean, he needed to get a body from somewhere. Like, you couldn't just sit... <laughs> Was he going to sit on his thumbs? Like, well, no, I meant what, what he witnessed inside the, the meeting when he, Ed 209 shot everything up, and his thought was, oh, well, you know, I need to take advantage of this right now. Yeah, okay. <laughs> there's there's uh, that whole so elevator scene. Try to scene. debate the degree of how, how slimy Miguel Ferris' character yeah. is. <laughs> I don't think he's the... Of the slime balls, he's, he's the nicest guy. I love the chewing the gum. Uh, yeah, he keeps doing that throughout the movie. Yes, this is a little stick. Plants it on the table later on. Or whatever. Yes, then he talks to the woman. This does suck, by the way. Like as much as we're, you know, maybe Bob's not the greatest person, but I mean, he no, just no, it's another place. cruel death. <clears throat> and Colonel, Colonel, I mean, we have we've talked about him in, in this movie, but he is great as his villain. He is all he is in this movie. He is all, He's like doing yeah. it up. He's doing a great job. And he looked, I mean, he has a, he has a level of style and charisma to him for being, you know, bad guy guy. Like, how could he even stop this? Like, is that even a possibility? Digital timer grenade. Well, you'd have to get the clip back on and hold it. It's, uh, it's really sad. <laughs> I know all the TVs. <laughs> Drugs in here. Not the most efficient uh, cocaine packing system. Yeah, they just spilled a whole bunch. A lot of leftovers. Nuke is a lot cleaner of a drug. Also cool, midway through the movie, we just get a giant action sequence where the hero confronts the villain and smacks him around a bunch after... It's a a surprising turn, because you think Kurtwood Smith will be there. You you don't expect him to get caught right away. And he's not intending to get caught either. It's like the following scene. (laughs) After we, after the dramatic reveal that the bad guys are in cahoots. Yes. You know we're gonna see this set in the big action scene. How often do you see that happen? By the way, like two bad guys that turn out to be in good. Oh, no, that's not that's that happens. I love all, all these hard ass guys walking around. This guy's got a little glass of wine. Yeah. <laughs> hey, that's a lot of fake money. You gotta be really badass to wear an ascot like that. <laughs> Kills it. Yeah, he's really rocking that ascot. Look at that. He didn't even he didn't even button his collar. He just put the ascot on over it. It's funny how compelling the action in this movie or the movie itself is without having too much action necessarily. It's and there's a fair share like it's a Verhoeven movie. It's gonna be some action and there's a lot of excitement, explosions, and what have you. But like in terms of like Robo, like seeing RoboCop in RoboCop action, there's what like two scenes of that. Like, not as many as you'd think. Yeah, I mean, yeah, this is this is a big set piece in the movie coming up. When he gets to the refinery later on, that's a big set. There's a fair amount of action. I'm thinking of a lot of things that happen in this movie. There's also RoboCop just getting shot up too. Yeah, that's yeah, that's see, that's what I keep confusing with action. Like, there's there isn't a whole bunch. It's not of- really RoboCop in action. He's exactly. being actioned. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I like that bending door. But, and you know what? You know what's great about Verhoeven with this movie is guys take shots and they connect. It's just not like random shooting and missing and stuff. Like, well, yeah, it's, they're squirt. guys. Guess... Guys hit RoboCop. RoboCop shoots. Guy. I mean, yeah. 
He's accurate. Like it's accurate shooting, I guess. Well, yeah, they found they found a workaround to the heroes never get yeah. shot. It's the hero gets shot all the time, but he's made of steel. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny how like he doesn't have the most like groundbreaking lines in cinema history but for some reason robocop saying things that he does in this movie are all awesome like it just yes. it, it has a real gravitas to it for whatever reason he chooses his words carefully he says exactly what you'd expect like the by the book officer to say but because it's robocop it just works well and i think also weller because it's the guys will play Ro- RoboCop and say stuff like that, and it just doesn't work. And then RoboCop three, they have this really robotic voice with it. Like they, this one has a, they distort his voice a little bit, but it's not so it's not distracting, and you can hear the Peter Weller in it. But like also, I mean, the eighties were the height of the the action movie catchphrase, you know? For sure, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know it probably started in Bond, you know, but you know, they call it. You know, your move, creep, that kind of thing. It just really, yeah. you know, I mean, it really lends itself to that that kind of uh, delivery. It does, because you can have Bond say something, and then Bond thing kicks up, and you can have RoboCop say something, and then the RoboCop thing kicks up, which, I mean, I, I can recognize the RoboCop theme very easily. It has a very good theme, but it's not necessarily, like, one of the more standout themes of, you know, history. But it works here, and it works, it, it works, it, it works as a needle drop. It works where you can have him punctuate a line that he says with that theme be like, yeah, Robocop! Yeah. <laughs> well, you, you, well, you know, it's funny, too, when I do all these retrospectives, I always notice, man, movies back in the, to add to the 80s, too, and, you know, some of the 90s and 70s, but, like, themes were hummable, recognizable, you could whistle them, they get stuck in your head. Nowadays, it's, they're few and far between. I'm not saying they don't do it anymore, like, there aren't any recognizable themes, but this it seemed like Everybody, even just one-shot movies, had the recognizable theme. For sure. That and you could hear a couple notes and pick it out. Like, it, I can't tell you a lot of movies nowadays that you could play a couple notes and be like, oh, yeah, that's, uh, you know, such and such. It's, yeah, it, it comes from, you know, changing sensibilities, changing times, and obviously, and just, like, what kind of composers are out there doing certain kinds of work. And as much as I like Hans Zimmer, like, he's he doesn't operate on a level of recognizable themes necessarily he has more kind of right. stirring themes and rising and he's action copied themes. a ton too so yeah. right. especially by himself and, yeah. um, <laughs> so like I, mean, get... I don't know sometimes the music i mean there are more modern movies where the you know, music's been iconic i mean think of inception oh know? for sure yeah, yeah there's certain yeah. And that, no, no, that no, got no, so no, overused no, afterwards you know but i mean if you i mean like it's not that all, i would like, we, all stroke, fun, but... we all have a lot of fun with pacific rim I can't say that I would know, be able to hum that theme off it. Like, if I heard it in yeah. the movie, like, yeah, there it is. But, like, I can't say that, like, I I would recognize that movie based on its theme. Right. Even a lot of the Marvel movies, I would I can't, you know, say I rec. They go with the movie themselves, maybe. And if you've heard it just because you've seen it a number of times, it might click. But it doesn't feel like you don't say Captain America and then you just start humming the Captain America theme. I don't know what that theme is. Yeah. No, I don't either. It's and it's stuff like, like that. Had it been made in the 80s, we'd know that team theme. Mm-hmm. Yeah. More than likely, it would like, probably have exposition. It would probably have expositional dialogue in the, the lyrics of the song, mm-hmm. explaining who Captain America was. Yeah, you know? well, and they don't. They have always to be did like, that in TV series too. I mean, yeah, I mean, they don't have to be like grand orchestral settings. I mean, look at the original Terminator. Yeah, just a synth, but it it was 
it caught on. Catching huge. And then Terminator 2 kind of upped it, where like it yes. added kind of a an almost a kind of orchestral, not necessarily orchestral, but orchestral quality to it. Just it gave it more weight. <laughs> it's like it's yeah. Very big. But even a movie like I thought about this with Iron Man. Iron Man was like one where part of the reason why I and I like the Iron Man movies, all of them actually. I like two. I don't hate it. It's not great, but like something about those movies that like what with the third one, which made it kind of lesser for me, even though I like it more and more as I view it, is they don't see it doesn't seem like necessarily connected with the others. It seems like there was always kind of a missing link between them, and part of that comes from obviously a director change, but. Like, there's never, like, a, a core Iron Man theme where the first two movies had ACDC going on, which is awesome, and the second one didn't have any ACDC, or the third one didn't have any ACDC. Like, it just, there's something about not having that kind of unifying theme for a, you know, a character that's become a huge pop culture icon that always seemed lacking for me, as opposed to Terminator or Robocop or other characters. Or that, there's that great scene in Avengers where the ACDC comes on over the, uh, and you the intercom before he yeah. confronts Loki, and you know it's Iron Man on the way, you know? It's like, that that needs to be a staple of it, it seems, and that was, that kind of irked me in Iron Man 3, where, like, I get he's doing something different, but at the same time... I associate Iron Man with ACDC, so I kind of want to, you know, have that come alive. Sure, that's not an original theme like we're mentioning here, but I mean, that's that seems like it's a part of the character. Yeah. When we got to the, because um, we talked over that, but the action sequence where we have a Robocop kind of throw Kurtwood Smith through a window, I was reading, uh, I was reading on the on the interwebs that like they tested this scene and like they weren't sure how cops were going to respond. And they love the fact that it happened. They love that scene. They, yeah. they love that a, a guy who was clearly murdered a cop was just being fly, thrown through windows and beaten up on. And here comes Prime Directive number four. Four. Crippling. He must be a red asset, huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> how did he get this installed into RoboCop? Or no, is it... Well, how, well, I guess, how did he know? Or, I guess it's... I guess Bob had to have inserted something about Omnicorp employees? Or no, he just says, it's my contribution, so... Hmm, how did that go about? Like, hmm. Or he could, have, he could have mentioned it yeah. in a meeting at some point. Corruption. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that. But I guess he kind of brought it up in a meeting at some point. It's like we should insure ourselves in case the RoboCop goes bonkers and tries to kill us that he should have a hidden directive where executives yeah. cannot be killed by him. After yeah, that I can last see that guy got shot up in the boardroom. Yeah, that might be a good idea. Yeah, see how that goes. Well, and I, I could see Miguel Ferrer's character, you know, saying okaying something like that. Because mm-hmm. he too is an Omnicorp. <laughs> Once again, Peter Weller does a great job of making Robocop look like he's in pain. Yeah. Like, there's a, that's a great kind of stuttered, like, ah, what's happening to me kind of face with a man that, you know, has no face. Yeah, I mean, he keeps it, I mean, his mouth just, it doesn't overdo it. It just... I like that. It's fun to see, like, the little goofs where, or not goofs, but, like, you see Ed 209 approaching a door, cut away, next shot, he's through the door. Like, just get around. <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's just very obvious now. It's like, that's what they did there. 
stuff of, same thing with like stuff like R2 and like what paths you can approach and then the scene cuts away and cuts back. Like, mm-hmm. They do they do a fantastic job with the uh the little uh, miniature RoboCops in this where you can't even tell a lot of the times. Like I, right there was one of them. Uh, I love that where he grabs the arm and yeah, like he's like he's gritting his teeth as he's pushing this gun away from him, shooting his face. And there's that one great shot of his eyes. The first time you get yeah. to see his eye, either of his eyes, since he's been changed to Robocop. You, know? you think as a like an initial audience, you see this movie and you see Ed 209 and it malfunctions, and you think, I wonder if they're going to fight at some point? You just know it's coming. Do you? Yeah, I, would I guess. Think so. I guess. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Unless, you know, he found a st- Robocop found a staircase, in which case it'll all be over. Yeah. Yeah. The, the arch nemesis. Of the stairs. Which is a key it, scene again of personality. Here we go. Yeah. Crouch. Did we think about this when we when we uh, flew him up to the 80th floor? Mm-hmm. And you're but, right. I mean, Jim, it, you're it, right about the eye. Like, that's a great... Yeah. That's a great way to show vulnerability in an otherwise, you know, mechanical robot that's walking right. around. There's, he still has a shred of humanity left and in it, him. It's a great reveal, too, because... You don't really know what makes RoboCop tick necessarily. You kind of you get a sense that he has, obviously has remnants of his his memory or whatnot, but you you don't really know what this thing is anymore. You get like, yeah, he's made up of parts, and but how how far does how deep does that go? Well, right. and at this point too, I mean, we don't really know how much of his body is in there too. It could just be his mouth, and then yeah, you see that he maybe has his whole face. I love that that video effect of his point of view. It's yeah, great. it's great. There's a lot of that in this movie. There's a lot of point of view in this movie. It's really cool. Yeah, I just, uh, just that video filter they put on it. Just it is even without to... even even without the little pop ups in the corner. Just that video filter is a cool. Uh, For sure, cool it, it adds to the kind of aesthetic of what it is to see RoboCop vision. Yep. He doesn't see in HD. It makes me want to see RoboCop versus Predator. <laughs> or, he's always he's supposed to fight the Terminator. That's his versus, right? Yeah. So why can't we see Robocop versus Terminator versus Alien versus Predator? Yeah. In the comic book lore, I guess like some of this, some of the tech that went into Robocop ends up becoming Skynet, Cyberdyne, whatnot. So I, I like that. I like those games. Yeah, I had a Genesis version and a Game Game Gear with six AA batteries version. Ooh, Game Gear. <laughs> game Gear. Your six AA batteries for the last, what, four hours? You know it. <laughs> <laughs> those were the good AA batteries. Meanwhile, I can play, like, entire uh, PlayStation games on my iPad now. <laughs> so, yeah. <sorry. laughs> This is this is pretty like it's a good thing he's a robot because man they are just blasting away again. Yeah. Like, Murphy does not get a break. Murphy, the bad guys shoot him up and the good guys shoot him up. This scurrying underneath the parking garage is awesome always to me. Like I always love that. Like it's <laughs> he's just like barely scraping by as he goes through the different floors of this parking garage and then thankfully. Yeah, it is. Is... <laughs> Oil leaking out of them everywhere. Oil can. I can see that bird-like thing that you're saying, Brandon. Like you can yeah. See and kind of how he looks. Like Anthony Perkins in Psycho. Yes. <laughs> Boy, one of those 80 guys saw him, huh? 
Ah, a dinosaur. <laughs> <clears throat> Wait, am I in the wrong movie now? What happened? It's Jurassic Park. What is this for? Is it a food commercial? I forget what this one is. Or uh, insurance. TJ Laser. TJ Laser. No. Car. <laughs> uh, Six thousand sucks. <laughs> Eight point two. We, we skipped uh, when he was fighting crime, and like the former mayor Same. was like holding hostage the other mayor. We were saying before about the eighties. Lisa Gibbons, if anything else, really dates this movie. Yeah, because <laughs> her hair, the big, the giant bangly uh, earrings, the the patterned knit sweater. Kid, kids today would know that she's like a real reporter type. Per- I mean, she was Entertainment Tonight, but was a yeah. real kind of had that job back then. Pseudo journalist, yeah. Just like uh, when I when I lived in California, I quickly noticed that a lot of the news people on movies and TV shows were actual news people. On yeah, <laughs> well, that's I mean I think we've talked about this before, but that's what made Arrested Development so humorous because yes. John, John Beard is a newscaster for Orange County area, and he'd be featured on yes <laughs> on Arrested Development, and then like Arrested Development would end, and then the actual news would start, and John Beard would be on. <laughs> <laughs> I love I love that person. Sorry. Eddie Van Halen, yeah. Unemployed <laughs> person. The secretary in this upcoming scene is Kurt Woodsmith's wife. That was some shiny, shiny fabric. I thought they had some chemistry. Yeah. Gum. <laughs> He's just so good at being bad. <laughs> he is. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think we skeletal. got him. That guy knows rolls enough. Yeah. His head is just so skeletal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Southland life. Look at that freaking face. <laughs> that that art in the background, oh man. The cabinet, what is that? It's like never noticed that before. Plus in the eighties movies, people smoked. Yep. Always. A lot. Why all the rooms are smoky in action movies? It's why, yeah. All the henchmen. And and bars were office equipment. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, a lot of times, like now, the movies are too based on, you know, explaining how stuff happens or making sure everything works. Like back in the eighties, we could go and just, you know, we escaped a lot better Mm. than we do now. Like we, I mean. Yeah, there's a lot of there's they, a lot of they, picking apart things and semantics that yeah. both go explained and picked and picked apart by people that watch said movies. Yeah, like this, I mean, they're just like, you know what? Here we are. We're going with it. I mean, there was a lot less time with exposition as we as we have now. Like, you just, you just you know, you're going to a movie, you're going to see fantastic things happen, and because it was a movie, you most of the time could allow. I'm not saying everything, 
yeah. was okay to go, but I mean, you accept it a lot more. It's why a movie recently, like Looper, works so well, because it just, it throws you a concept, but isn't about that concept, necessarily. Yeah. It throws well, you a thing they, that exists. Yeah, as long as they play within the rules that they set up, and the concept that they have, then, I, you know, I'm fine with it. Like, it doesn't need to be like, well, in real life, this wouldn't, you know... As long as it clearly establishes its own world and its own concepts, and that's great. Which is hilarious when people bring up flaws in certain time travel movies where it's like, well, so you're over the fact that time travel exists to begin with? Like, yes. I don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> there's, a, there's a great story Max Landis uh, tells about talking to his father writing a story about vampires or something. And he said, uh, well, no, only stick through the heart. He goes, okay, what kills vampires? And uh, Max says, I'll stick through the heart. Garlic, he goes, no, whatever you want it to, because vampires aren't effing real. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty, the same thing, much. you know? I mean, like, I don't need to know the ins and outs of Robocop himself. I just assume that what they did works. Right. You know? I, I don't need the over-explanation of, of how that works. He kind of drills saying, himself a little bit, and he's all yeah. good. Yeah, I, I understand that he's a, a cyborg. I, I've never seen a cyborg worked on one, but I'm also watching a science fiction action movie, so right. I'm going to accept their technology as whatever they want it to be. There's some cool editing there with the drilling and undrilling the holes from your head where it's showing you just enough to make you think that he actually did it. It's, it's good right. stuff. This is here, we great, go. here we go. Yeah. Yeah. We get Murphy, and he's disturbing looking. Yeah. Yeah. Great makeup, by the way. Oh yeah, it's according to pull this off, it, like it looks amazing. They can't even pull it off on the new one, and I'm not giving anything away on the trailer. But you can see there's clearly a guy under a mask where this looks like. Yeah, this looks like there's been a face strapped face. onto something. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. yeah, and a real face, they, not just like a fake face. Like it looks real. <laughs> and they even got the his head where he was shot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's some really clever work done to make this work. Yeah. Obviously, I guess his head would have to be somewhat smaller, and they had to build around it to make it fit. It's, just, it's clever. Yeah. It's the kind of thing where you're like, I don't, I can't exactly explain how this was done. Yeah, they picked Weller because he was he was thinner. The guy they wanted for the role was Michael Ironside, but he was too bulky. Oh wow! To, to no, it's a totally different movie. Yeah, yeah, he was too bulky to pull off what they wanted, and and Weller was thinner, and. Because in order to make this work, the guy had to be like really thin, so the suit didn't look super, super huge. Where's the Ironside Weller villain off movie that I need to see? Oh man, that would be great. How's that at? Uh... We, I was thinking about him when you guys were talking about Starship Troopers earlier. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I was just trying to think too. Like, when does him not be? A yeah, and that's his, I mean, happening. it makes sense because Berhoven did use him in Total Recall and Starship Troopers, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. So. Yeah, so you could see it was on his brain. Yeah, he certainly wanted to work with him. He thought, I mean, if he did good, he, they wanted him for Robocop, right? Right? And then they, they, yeah, that's they that's who went. they wanted, but yeah. it just wasn't going to work. And the studio didn't like him either. What's Ironside's besides Verhoeven movies? What's his like big claim? Uh, a scanners. Lot of animation. Yeah, scanners. 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 There we go. Uh, visiting hours. Um, There's a lot of animation voices too. Yeah, I know that. Yeah. Yeah, scan. I forgot about scanners. That was a key oh yeah, scanners. Well, man, did he do plenty of TV, or I think he did some TV work. He was in Sequest season three. He replaced Roy Scheider. Mm. He was Dark Side in the Justice League cartoon. I remember that. Oh, and this scene's crazy. 
Yeah. You would not find something like this in a movie nowadays. <laughs> this is a, like, we got some money left in the budget, guys. Let's do it. And, you know, the movie's not exactly, you know, large scale, but you get a sense of the city, especially yeah, because yeah. it's in Houston, even though it's, you know, it's supposed to be Detroit. Like, it, you get it, I mean, there's obviously a play there just because it's supposed to be Detroit, but it's this kind of you know, yeah, <laughs> gritty underbelly say, of crime, and it plays into the social commentary. But, I mean, it feels like a real breathing city. Well, yeah, it's like a, the city itself's a character. Yeah, as opposed to just saying the words Detroit and not doing anything with that idea. And it actually holds true through RoboCop 2, I'd say, as well. The city is a character. I mean, yeah, that's why there was such that, that big debate about whether or not to have an actual RoboCop statue, because Detroit plays a huge part in this series. <laughs> yeah. It was the continuity, too, that he blew up one of those 6,000 sucks. Yeah. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. With the biggest gun in the world. I mean, it's a very... The the the, the comment, the, um, the commercials and the news stuff going on matters like it plays into what's actually happening in this movie where you have people saying i buy that for a doll like they're making pop culture references to the which reference the things that have you know come in this movie in this world it's not just like if it was set in the 80s it maybe would take things that are happening at the time but no it's it's established a world and actually pays reference to that world we blew up the nude 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 yeah how many people they kill yeah, because <laughs> that place is open this time of night. You know it. That seems like the place that they'd want to go to after they did all this. We can build a new Detroit. <laughs> yeah, there's this thing in the '80s of like big cities being over, like dark, barren, crime-ridden places, like you know, Back to the Future Two has, and like Gotham City and Batman. It's part of where what... it's like a scary place. It's part of what makes me admire what um, uh, Demolition Man was trying to do so much, where that movie kind of starts there yes. and turns into a utopia. It, yes. It, it plays on that aspect. Like, Especially because you're dealing with you know relics of the 80s, essentially, with Wesley Snipes and St- Stallone specifically. Yeah. Well, like, as, as, a, as a kid in the Midwest growing up and watching these, like I was afraid to go to like a New York because I, I felt like you know, I was going to get there and immediately on the street be like, like mugged and like held at gunpoint. Like that's what like these kind of movies promoted that thing. Like Jason takes Manhattan. I mean, when they get to Manhattan, they're immediately held at gunpoint, attempted rape, shot up with heroin. It's and like the streets are all full of like you know like trash and so it's just should have been called Manhattan takes Jason. Manhattan takes Jason. Yes, <laughs> I mean that's that's one yeah. of the examples. But but the other representations of big cities were just you know dark places. Yeah, no, I I completely agree. Where was Darkman set? Darkman was in Chicago. Yeah, I just watched that. I know. I was, oh, man, I haven't that. seen that in so long. I, I can't really wait to check out the the new. It has a it's, new Screen Factory Blu-ray coming out, which Brandon reviewed on WeSellBlue.com. Yes. They yeah, got Liam stuff. Neeson back for it, that is, or to talk about it. Liam Neeson's is my shiznit. Yes. <laughs> Good cop, bad cop. Bad cop, RoboCop. Okay. <laughs> By the way, we we talk because we keep talking over things because that's what we're supposed to do. I really like the scene between Lewis and RoboCop as he's unscrewing himself and everything. It's a great chance for the movie to breathe. Um, yeah. It establishes, it gives you, I mean, given that we're dealing with RoboCop the entire time, or for the majority of the movie, it gives you a great chance to remember that 
Murphy has a personality and it's slowly seeping through to an extent, even though he's still RoboCop. He's not altering what he is, but you can see that there is life in him. And it's a, it's a tribute to, you know, Peter Weller and to Nancy Allen and to just what the screenplay is doing with this concept that it makes it work while still being true to what this thing is. So you get to this third act and you're all about it and you want Lewis and Robocop to succeed because you like that chemistry. You like their friendship and you, I mean, obviously these guys are dicks. So like, I want to see them win. This is just a well, I mean, this is kind of like stunt show style action sequence, but yeah. I mean, it's just really well orchestrated. And... It is. This is a good example of Verhoeven doing action well, which makes me wish I could see more. <laughs> Yeah. Movies like this from him now. Like I'd love to see what he can do with a movie with this kind of dark humor mixed with his action sensibilities. Mm-hmm. And as much as I like Black Book, which is like 2006 now, that's not an action movie. It's a war drama. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I've seen Verhoeven do something classy, which is awesome, seeing Black Book. But I'd love to see him do something like this again. It's been over 10 years since Starship since his last kind of divergence into this political commentary mixed with humor mixed with action and i'd like to see more something like that now for nowadays yeah Mm. and the score is in full effect too like you get the just everything about this scene is great well one thing too with these they were patient in the editing room you can you can see everything going on you can, for sure you got a good sense of where they're at the motion like you can stop and admire shots and effects and stuff whereas you know i'm not i'm not against shaky cam but there's a lot of people that don't know how to use it correctly uh-huh. mm-hmm. this is amazing this, this, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> i mean you show someone a still from this they would that isn't too familiar they would not know it was from robocop and I look, there's so little done to explain what's happening. It's just like toxic waste. Now, now he's a mutant. That's it. Here, like, here, here is a iconic he's turning to cottage cheese. Melting. It, it, it's not like the movie took any time. Like it didn't. It's not like a rule of three. They didn't set it up earlier. They didn't say mutant no. toxic waste is on the rise and mutants are emerging. It just like it gives you a shot of toxic waste. Guys in it. Guess what? Now he's a mutant. Like that's all you need. <laughs> and and none of the sequels ran with that kind of idea, which is surprising. That hubcap into the camera. I love that. I w- I want to oh, know yeah. if that was like just gr- a great catch from them filming on the day, but it's such a cool thing. Or the hubcap where they're like Mur- Lewis and the guys driving in the cars, and the hubcap just flies right into the camera lens. That's great. I love how Ray Wise is like, dude, get off me. Yeah, no, I, I don't have time to deal with mutants right now. <laughs> freaking, yeah. Come up to this scene. <laughs> Maybe the greatest shot in the movie. Yes. <laughs> and it's just everywhere. <laughs> it splashes everywhere. It's so good. Somebody just burst a watermelon on the on the windshield. Good car stunt, too. Sucks yeah. 6,000. Yeah, I feel like I over like I repeat myself a lot when going back to old franchises, like just praising all the practical and like real stunt work that goes on. It's just it's I don't know far more delightful, I guess. But I, I don't know maybe kids today like really get into the CG and stuff, and it's just you know different for different ages. I'm not like I said, I'm not totally against CG, but this is something far more. I like the term movie magic, and you know. 
There's a lot of that that went on back then as opposed to, you know how we did that? Well, here's a guy sitting in front of a computer. It's the kind of thing that's going to make you wonder what the nostalgia is, you know, years from now, where you have the movies that are coming out today as some of the ones that you're looking back on and which ones are going to stand up because of what kids remember when they were young seeing them and whatnot. Yeah, because, I mean, mean, when I would see something like this, and uh, there's a lot of movies where I'd be like, wow, how did they do that? And that's a lot that got me into movies was, like, wondering, like, how they – being, like, a a fan of, like, horror movies growing up especially – well, I wanted to know how they were doing these incredible effects, and you go and you see all this work done, and like the mm-hmm. special ways they use the cameras, and and just like inserts and stuff like that. Boom! This movie, but, heroes bleed in this movie. Oh my god! Oh, <laughs> Everyone's getting shot up, beat up, things dropping on them. My god! And blown up. Ray, that that's an amazing movie. Ray yes. Wise like celebrating, followed by him falling <laughs> out of the sky. Kurt Smith's like, "What just happened?" <laughs> but yeah. So, anyways, yeah. That's... Yeah, and Weller's great right here with this. Yeah. Oh. Die. Now, opposed to the toxic waste, <laughs> where there's no setup, this is just like, you know this is coming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That needle is amazing, and that bloodshot right on him afterwards, too. <laughs> uh. And the ridiculous, I mean, Verhoeven pulled it off with the ridiculous score. Yeah. That's a hardcore death, too. Like, it's one thing yeah. that's splattered across the screen, but it looks like he, like... Kurt Woodsmith's obviously the guy that wants... You know, you want him to suffer the most in terms of villains that are going to die, and he, he pulls it off. It, it doesn't look like a happy death. <laughs> that's a great line, too. They'll fix, they fix you. They fix everything. I think what does it for me with the head is that, like, the piece, like, on the back, like, on the back of his neck is, like, gone, so it, it like, looks like there's... Something it pulls off the uh, the illusion that like there's just yeah. a face strapped onto the front of that thing that are right right like it's still like I know how they did it and it still is amazing looking in person you know yeah I love there's another red two or do you think there's are there multiple ones at this point or is it just yeah like, yeah I think there's multiple ones so it's just like another one is like I got a solution this time. <laughs> destroys this thing. <laughs> Cut to... It's still around. Drunken legs. <laughs> I guess it's good because it, it doesn't it does it just enough where you don't have that great that little foot waggle at the end of the great where it it's done where it's not interacting the two things enough so you that's why it works as somewhat timeless or at least not as aged as other stop motion effects where it's they're very deliberately involved with each other the yeah. real and the, the real and the fake. Having watched RoboCop recently before this, just because I want because I wanted to watch it again and because I got the Blu-ray, um, this the ending of this movie and like and by ending I mean like the last ten seconds are quickly becoming one of my favorite movie endings of all time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> where it's just a great a great line, which isn't even much of a one-liner. It's just more of an answer to a question. Smash cut to credits, and it really yeah. works. Right. Well. Boy, I hope I'm compatible. It should have done a freeze frame with the credits. 
I, the, the, I don't know. Cut to title <laughs> works for me so well. Yeah. It's very. Well, there's no. It ends. There's no bull, bull crap. Just fluff. Thirty seconds at the end. Just to hey, everything's back to normal. They're like, this movie is over. We're done here. It almost makes you wonder, like, it, I don't know how they could have pulled this off, but if there was, like, a day-in-the-life version of this movie, and it'd be very circular in that way. I guess, like, Dread, if, like, Dread was like that. If Dread had, like, a smash-cut ending, I wonder how much... And I love Dread already. I wonder how much more I yeah. like it if it, tried to, if it tried to pull something like that off, like a RoboCop-style ending. <laughs> You know, if I was one of these OCP This is people, great, this is great, this is a fact yes. shot here. It's a great fall. The, the long arms. <laughs> yeah, the long, oh, yeah. You know, if I was one of these OCP people, I would be scared every time they have a board. Yeah, a guy covered in blood, no matter. Someone gets shot up every time. Murphy. Name's Murphy. Smile. Roll oh, up. <laughs> walk off. That's it. That's all you need. You're quick at it. Big right. Boom. If anything, it should have been like the same as the title in the beginning, where it just like throws it at you. Robocop. <laughs> <laughs> and it is. I mean, to to its credit, he answers Murphy. Like he, he, while he is Robocop, and he'll always be Robocop. The answer to his question is Murphy. Like I wouldn't say he's found an identity but he's learned that he once was a man he can't change that yeah, but he accepts. there's he accepts what he is and what he was right there's a polidorius did he do other Warhoven movies i'm sure he did right i imagine so, uh, yeah just a solid solid movie all around yeah, it's, it's very much I mean, exemplar of its of its uh, class. It's 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 one of those almost perfect movies, I'd say. I don't know if there's, I'm sure there's some faults or whatever, but to me, it's I'd really change nothing about it for what it's setting out to accomplish. It succeeds and exceeds those ideas. I think. Yes. Yeah. Because this could have been a just a corny B movie, but I think it works as just a you know good film in itself. Like it could have been you know I, I guess it's. Over the years, it's and because it didn't work as a franchise, become more of a cult item. But it was pretty popular stuff from its time it came out through the most of the nineties, I'd say. Well, like you said, I mean, it spawned all those franchises for uh, you know um, the cartoon, the toys, you know, and all the different sequels, of course. You know, so. It makes me Boy, so curious about makes me so curious about um, Ed Newmeyer, um, who you know obviously wrote this movie and he went on to write the uh, this. Uh, he, I mean, he's got character credit on a lot, but he wrote um, Starship Troopers for Paul Verhoeven too. It makes me wonder, like, how he he has this kind of it's that with like um, with like Romero, who they have these you know they they're good at these they can make these genre movies they can assemble them, but they inject this level of like of the times social commentary and it, it I'd, I'd, I'd just like to have a conversation with them like ask them like how where, where these ideas came up from came from and what have you and Verhoeven for that matter too like oh, Verhoeven's not, he, he's, I not don't a, know he's not a dumb person like he's not, I, think like, Ver, I think Verhoeven has a hand in that yeah more so yeah I think when he got on got on the project it became more of that you think that you think that's where the source is coming from or? yeah I think that's where most of it's coming from I think they even said that on like the 
um, the little behind the scenes thing. I think that was a they may have mentioned something like that. But I think he he may not have wrote it down, but he may have planted the idea in like a rewrite or something. Hmm. Well, we've uh we've watched RoboCop. We've done it. What a great excuse to watch this movie again. Yes. The credits, <laughs> the credits are very slow, by the way. <laughs> they're, yes, they're, yes, they're they scrolling are. by really slowly. Ed 209 had a crew. Yeah. His own crew. Latte Wrangler. Wait a minute. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's, it's, you know, it's always fun doing these commentaries. Hope anyone that stuck around this long certainly enjoyed themselves because we, we like doing this and we got into, I think, a lot of interesting conversations about various things that somewhat relate to the movie and sometimes did um but yeah the um i can't recommend this blu-ray enough i, I know brandon and you it's agree. only 7.99 and it, and, okay, it comes, okay. and it comes with a ticket to the new robocop like yeah, yeah. I, I told aaron i i texted him the day i got done watching i was like man i feel like highway robbery getting this for 7.99 <laughs> but yeah it's, it's very much worth a purchase if you're a fan of this movie or well, I mean, why would you buy it if you're not? If you're a fan of this movie or know someone that is, and it's it's a it's a definitely worth a buy. They've done a great job of remastering the film. But regardless, love this movie. It's it's a fantastic movie. And if you're not a fan of this movie, then I don't know what your problem is anyway. But why were you listening to a commentary <laughs> after two hours? But uh, yeah, so I guess we can wrap it up. That's going to do it for this special bonus commentary episode about Now Theron and Abe. You can find more of my work at thecodazeek.com. You can find all my written movie reviews as well as at wisetheblue.com for all my Blu-ray reviews. And follow me on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. Uh, Brandon? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter uh, at BT Peters. Um, I also write for Wife So Blue, and I have my blog, Naptown Nerd, which is naptownnerd.blogspot.com, where I have been writing about all the RoboCop movies. So check it out. And, and you, can, oh, you can find my podcasting work at uh, hhwlod.com on very many uh, various and sundry shows. And my occasional blog, uh, Retropolis, on the Taylor Network of Podcasts.com. Uh, and I'm going to be going year by year through all the 80s, uh, my top 10 80s movies from each year of the 80s. So if you liked Robocop, you like the 80s movies, check that out. Very I'm cool. Looking forward to that. Yeah. And, of course, you can find all the other episodes about Now with Aaron and Abe, including the regular episodes where we talk about the main movies of the week on iTunes and at Stitcher, as well as at hhwlod.com, um, outnow.podomatic.com. Most of the newest episodes are there. Um, email us, outnowpodcast at gmail.com. Feel free to let us know your thoughts on RoboCop and the upcoming remake, as we are going to do a show for that this this week. Um, doesn't matter. The, the episode releases. Um, Facebook.com slash outnowpodcast. Twitter.com slash outnow underscore podcast. Uh, follow and like those. And, uh, yeah, that's pretty much, there's plenty more I can lay out, but it'll all be in the show notes, of course. Uh, thanks, everyone. Uh, thanks, Brandon and Jim, for joining me to discuss Robocop. Happy to be here. Thanks for having us. For sure. And, uh, yeah, until next time, so long, goodbye, and stay out of trouble. <laughs> <laughs>